When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Formula One's 2020 Turkish Grand Prix took place today at Istanbul Park, with Lewis Hamilton winning for the 10th time in 2020 for Mercedes, and in doing so, clinching this year's world title, his 7th, which equals Michael Schumacher's record haul. That actually massively understates today's race, which is a wet weather thriller featuring many slips and spins, crashes, including two before the race, bold passes and botched pit stops, a new long-time race leader, and ultimately Mercedes winning on a day where it had arrived on the back foot to struggling in practice and qualifying. Lance Stroll led the majority of the race, getting away well from pole in front of his racing point teammate Sergio Perez, while Max Verstappen and Alex Albon had torrid getaways as they struggled from second and fourth on the grid. The Renault and Mercedes cars surged forward behind the leading pink machines with all four essentially getting together at the first corner, although only two made contact. And that was the Renault pair after Daniel Ricciardo had had to avoid Hamilton sealing to the inside and tagging Esteban Ocon as he turned away as a result. Valtteri Bottas had to avoid the spinning Ocon on the outside and he went around as well, falling to the back of the field. The pair then had further contact further around lap one when Bottas misjudged his braking for turn nine and hit Ocon, picking up damage to his front wing and steering and giving Ocon a puncture. Up front, Stroll and Perez led the way, chased by Sebastian Vettel, who had made a brilliant start from 11th on the grid for Ferrari. His teammate Charles Leclerc triggered the change from wets to inters from further back in the pack, after which Verstappen was able to jump Vettel by staying out a few laps longer before taking the inters. Hamilton was doing something of a watching brief at this stage regarding the five cars ahead of him, as Albon then came by Hamilton and Vettel during the laps after the stops. At this phase of the race, Red Bull was on top, before Verstappen spun at high speed just past the Turn 11 kink, flat-spotting his tyres and having to take an extra stop as a result after he'd had a go at passing Perez. 
Albon then closed in on Perez too, who was slowly eroding the big lead Stroll had enjoyed after the stops. But Albon faded back as the Inter started to wear, at which point Vettel and Hamilton really came alive. Ferrari opted to pit Vettel again after Leclerc had shown great pace and made progress from being 14th at the end of lap 1 with his second set of Inters, but Hamilton stayed out as he enjoyed the tyre temperature advantage he had on his ageing set. With that came grip and pace. Albon spun out of his way shortly afterwards before Hamilton arrived at the back of the racing point pair a few laps past half distance. Stroll was brought in for fresh inters on lap 36 of 58, which proved to be something of a mistake as he encountered severe graining in the subsequent laps, fading to ninth at the finish. While up front, Hamilton chased down and passed Perez with a simple DRS pass on the main straight. Hamilton had demanded to be left out on his first set of inters, actually a used set from Saturday that had done three laps coming into the race and would last for 53 in total, and he was untroubled from there, actually lapping Bottas, who spun four more times after his two on lap one, for a total of six for the day. And Hamilton went on his way to take a commanding win ahead of Perez, audibly and visibly emotional, after the race as he considered the magnitude of his achievement. Perez, suddenly struggling on his own ancient inters late on, only finished second after Leclerc slid off the road three turns from home as the young Ferrari star had shone on his third stint to rise ahead of Albon and Vettel and looked best place to capitalise when Perez went deep at turn nine on the final lap and lost momentum. But a lock-up at the turn 12 overtaking spot cost Leclerc dear as Perez, who had closed back in on the Ferrari despite it having DRS after his own late off, snuck back through when Leclerc went deep, followed by Vettel, who came home to take his first podium of 2020 in third. So after all of that, that very long interruption, which I can see them all yawning as I turn my Zoom uh, camera back on tonight to do all of that on this podcast, our motorsport.com's F1 editor, Jonathan Noble, Autosports F1 reporter, Luke Smith, and GP Racing executive editor, Stuart Codling. And Codders, I'm going to start with you. I figured I'd throw you uh, hopefully a difficult question. I don't know, maybe it's very easy and you can bat it away, you know, we'll see see how we get on. But where does that victory, do you think, rank amongst Lewis Hamilton's best wet weather win? And the reason why I'm asking you that is because it was really interesting at one point in the press conference, he mentioned the fact that he was aware that he has something of an excellent reputation in the wet. And given Mercedes struggles on the rest of the weekend, I think he was like, oh, is this, is this one where I'm not going to do very well in the wet? Uh, but that was because that was basically a wet weather win like no other because of the state of the new asphalt with very low grip. So yes, back to my original question, which as ever I've talked and witted on too long from, where does that rank in Hamilton's wet weather drives to you? Ranks pretty high up, actually. I mean, you're probably thinking of Silverstone 2008, aren't you? Whenever you think of a, a Lewis Hamilton wet weather masterclass, and I, I was minded of that race quite a lot uh, this afternoon. Uh, not not just through Lewis's performance, but but also through the performance of Valtteri Bottas, which put me in mind of Felipe Massa in Silverstone 2008. Uh, you know, had, had more spins than Pete Burns. So um, yeah, I, I thought it was. Exquisitely judged victory, really. Uh, he was someone who, you know, you, you kind of thought it was all over for Lewis right from the start where he was struggling. But, you know, he, he played himself back into it. He was patient when other people were losing their heads. He certainly was. And I, I very much agree with you there on the sort of 2008 callback because of, first of all, it was a wet weather race there as well, but also because of those all those spins for Massa and Bottas today. But also this race in Turkey today reminded us of another race from Hamilton's past, where he came off really badly, it's China in 2007, where his ageing wet weather tyres, you know, they, they went down to the canvas, he came into the pit, slid up, lose, ends up, doesn't lose it on the day, but does end up losing the 2007 world title there. And he talked a lot about how he had learnt from that mistake and what had gone wrong. Um, but yeah, John, what, where do you think he demonstrated the lessons that he learned 13 years ago as a rookie to win this race today? Two factors and two lessons from previous races that helped. One was 
obviously China 2007, uh, when they'd gone far too long on worn tyres, um, got too cautious and nervous on strategy, changed tyres, came into the Shanghai pit lane and basically pretty much failed to turn left because there was no grip left and ended up in the gravel which effectively cost him that 2007 title. So that was weighing on his mind in the final stages when he was had a was a pit stop clear of Perez. The threat of rain was coming uh, and the tactic that helped him and Perez stay in front, which was basically extend the stint on the Inters so they were in effect slick, um, would have fallen apart. If it rained in the final two or three laps, they would have been the worst tyre to be on. Um, so the race was still hanging in the balance at that phase, but that rain never came. But that was that factor there. And I think the other factor was going back to Silverstone 08. And one of the, the lessons there was about when, a, as track conditions vary, sometimes an old Inter can be better than a new Inter. Even though the track looks like it, it is perfect for Inters, there is a difference between a worn Inter that has the characteristics of a slick uh, and a new Inter, um, which isn't can sometimes not be ideal. It can grain too quickly, as Lance Stroll found out to his cost. Um, so they were, they were kind of those two lessons of Silverstone to eight with the, the, the difference between a worn inter and a new inter and what you need to do and not do in those circumstances and China 07 with a when it when it wears out it is finished I have quite an amusing China 2007 story if you can spare two minutes I mean I don't believe um, any of your stories are ever this, amusing Goddess but you can you can, you can give it a good go is this a China is this a China story in your hands <laughs> it's not a Carol Black and Decker one uh, the uh, very, very briefly, obviously, in the run-up to China 2007, it was anticipated that Lewis would win the championship uh, at, at that race because he was a shoe-in. Uh, and, you know, as, as, as John has just mentioned, McLaren screwed the race for him by keeping him out too long because they wanted him to finish ahead of Fernando Alonso, who they hated, uh, on the track. So they, they completely screwed their race and their championship, you know, vain attempt to screw over the driver they didn't like but the 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 terrestrial broadcasters and the non-terrestrial broadcasters basically had sunday mapped out that this would be a, a lewis hamilton champion celebration so news 20 bbc news 24 it was as it was then known um had various researchers phoning me every two minutes uh, and not taking no for an answer, wanting me to appear on their show at nine o'clock in the morning or something, which involved them sending a Mercedes um, taxi all the way from a television centre, as it was then, to Farnham, where I continue to live, to pick me up in my suit and, and, and send me up to appear on TV for all of two minutes. As I walked into TV centre, John Watson was just coming out. So they, they, basically there was nothing else left to talk about uh, but, but Lewis Hamilton. And as it happened, we were all analysing his failure to win the World Championship rather than talking about uh, this this amazingly successful maiden World Championship for a rookie in his first season of Formula One. I like how at one stage you thought that was going to be a short anecdote, but still, nevertheless, an, an interesting story. <laughs> it's quite funny. It's, 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 it's amazing how much money the BBC used to be prepared to blow on taxis, sending a Mercedes 35 miles or so each way just to have some idiot gibber on TV for all of a minute and a half. Actually, that anecdote went on longer than my screen time on BBC News 24. <laughs> Well, if you if you let me uh, return to the role of gibbering idiot on this podcast, Goddess, I'm more than happy to do so. Um, Happily. Thank you very much. Yes, and it's a role I uh, no doubt always always aspire to and will always be able to handle. Uh, Luke, um, 
it's, it's interesting to consider Hamilton today versus China 2007 because he was sort of saying afterwards, back at that race, I didn't have the confidence, I didn't have the knowledge to back myself, to overrule the team. Because we hear quite a lot of Hamilton making suggestions, making demands of his team. And it must still be quite hard to strike that balance between trusting those guys who have all the information, they can see a lot, lot more than what the driver can behind the wheel and knowing in those conditions, this is what's right, even though he can't predict the future and what's going to happen. So how impressed were you by what he what he did today in terms of the decisions that he took? Oh, massively. I mean, he is a driver who, even after, what, it's his 14th season in Formula One, and the knowledge bank he's built up is something that he just continues to deploy brilliantly. And I think that's something that today, in this such a difficult weekend, I mean, Hamilton said after Friday's running that he could do no setup work with the car because he was just focusing on the tyres. And then after Saturday, he said after qualifying, he just, he just didn't know what to expect. And he said, like, no one knows what the right strategy is going to be or how to play it. So it's very much a race that you kind of just manage as you go. And we heard him come on the radio at one point and say, how long are these intermediates meant to last? And the team was like, we, we can't tell you, we don't know that. So it was very much sort of, a, I guess, a, a step into the unknown for all of them. But he just can, continued to sort of eke out the stint and manage and manage. And as we sort of got to that crossover point where we did see some of the drivers, such as Lance Stroll, such as the Ferraris, pit for a second set of intermediates, Hamilton made clear that he didn't want to come in, that he was fine to keep going. And then we got towards closing stage and he was like, I just want to make sure these tyres aren't going to blow up or anything. And by then, Mercedes had the knowledge they built up from Bossas's stint. Obviously, he pitted for a second time so they could look at his inters. And they said, no, similar condition so you should be fine to get to the end and it's just that it's that maturity and it's that experience that I think you can only get when you get to that far in your career basically but it's also Lewis is someone who keeps saying like if you ask him to recall like an old race or anything like that he's always like oh I've got a terrible memory like I really don't remember things and whatever actually he's got a very very good memory like and the things that he needs to remember and the things that do decide championships such as China 07 he has that very much ingrained on his mind and the heartbreak that he had in 2007 that that's something that still carries with him but he's turned it into a positive and we saw that perfectly today that it's very similar conditions where you're wearing that tire down and it's going to sort of becoming a slick and if you go too far as they did in 07 back then he could never have overruled the team because he was a rookie he didn't have the experience but today he had that knowledge that he could easily just say look let's keep going but also it's the trust that the team has in him as, has in him as well and that is such an important two-way street and um, I think perfectly between the driver and the team absolutely I thought there was another thing Hamilton said in his press conference which was interesting it was a, it was a two-part press conference they had Sergio Perez and Sebastian Vettel appear uh, before Hamilton did presumably because he was uh, still away with the tv cameras uh, there we go um it's something that he said that was actually quite evocative that he was sort of looking in his rear view mirrors at his tyres trying almost to see that tyre from 2007 at China and, and the feeling and the sensation of like is it going to happen again but he said he, he just couldn't obviously that you know he, he couldn't quite tell how it was going but obviously felt that he still had enough and critically the uh, the ageing intermediates kept that tyre temperature um, John I just want to go back to sort of the start of the race or even, even actually further back looking at qualifying and practice how how on the back foot, how much in trouble do you think Mercedes was? Because it really hadn't shown anything by that stage, despite the fact it clearly has the best car in the field. And the teams, some of the other teams we spoke about this, Luke and I did on the podcast yesterday, Dave Robson saying that it's not all about downforce, because if it was, Mercedes still would have been fastest. There was something the other teams were doing that were helping with tyre warm-up and building that critical tyre temperature. So how in trouble do you think they were? I think what we saw today was kind of a, 
a step on from what we had in Portimao. If you if you rewind back to the first laps at Portimao, for example, um, the two guys who made the rapid progress early on, Carlos Sainz and Kimi Raikkonen, basically aggressively switched on their tyres, got the heat into them in the tricky conditions and disappeared, basically. Then it took time for the tyres of the Mercedes to, to come in. Um, you know, Bottas got his up first, then Lewis was after. But then as that race developed... Lewis charged through and I think that's the same when you when you dig through the entire weekend I think we, we see a similar picture that um, the problem with Mercedes was they just couldn't get the temperature into the tyres in qualifying couldn't switch the switch the tyre on whereas the racing point clearly could switch that that tyre on immediately and we saw that in the first phase of the race I mean it looked like racing point were gone Lance Stroll had disappeared up front Sergio was falling back from Lance, um, but they were gone. Any normal race, when you're 15 seconds clear of the opposition after um, a handful of laps, that's the Grand Prix done and dusted. But um, I think the Mercedes problem was switching the tyre on, and that gentle way of building the tyre temperature up actually proved to be the way to, to win the race. I think you spoke to Dave Robson on Saturday night, and he talked about a tortoise and hare race. Basically, the hare would be lighting up the tyres early on and disappearing up the road and then the tortoise would slowly get there and actually being able to manage that tyre pace looking after it better um, was what we saw from Mercedes and also, also partly in that Lance Stroll and Perez battle too Lance was obviously super aggressive on the tyres which was brilliant for qualifying brilliant for the first lap of the race Sergio more considered more calm which you know fell back a bit then it allowed him to manage the tyres um, just as Lewis did so I think, I think it was a tale of you know the, the pace was there in the car and the pace was there in the tyres, but the characteristic of where that where that pace peaked was very very different across the field. Yeah, Andreas Seidel was quite interesting on that point in the in the McLaren post race press conference where he talked about striking that balance between uh, qualifying and the race. You know, some sometimes you you see a, a disparity in performance of the cars between Saturday and Sunday, but but also he talked of I, I actually wrote down his words. He he, he talked about introducing the tyres and, and he, he said that you know the, what, what one of the reasons for McLaren's kind of apparent surge in pace towards the end of the race was when they when they put on their final set of intermediates they'd kind of got an idea of how to introduce them as it were and to not put to not to be too aggressive on them and not to damage them particularly through turn eight uh, when you first put them on and I was wondering if on the one hand, Lance had been a bit too aggressive and that is why his tyres were graining. Maybe there's also an element of, of racing point, um, putting maybe a little bit too much focus on a wet setup for qualifying and, and, and not getting it right for the race. It's tricky because racing point are one of those teams that, that don't grant us a, an audience after the race via Zoom or Teams. So we, we sort of have to rely on what they put out and, and the slightly, unfortunately, soft questions that are put to them in, in the pen. Indeed. Well, just before we talk about um, Stroll and Racing Point and obviously Perez's podium, Luke, let's talk about Valtteri Bottas. As I said, six spins on the day, terrible result. He's lost the championship and he just he just never got going. He, look, he looked great off the line and I think maybe if he'd just been able to keep a little bit more to the outside, he might have got round Ocon, but not a lot he could do when Ocon went round. 
you and I went to his uh, Zoom press conference that was slightly farcical after it ended after <laughs> the, the, the first question was was a bit bizarre from, from one of the journalists. And then it ended after four minutes when uh, Lewis Hamilton had, had apparently arrived and they were going to take a group photo. <laughs> the Valtteri Bottas was taken away from us, very sadly. Uh, but, you know, su- such as the teams want. Uh, anyway, um, back to Bottas, you know, how does he bounce back from this? Because he's lost another championship in this time in devastating circumstances. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty disastrous race. And uh, as you say, we sort of logged on for that Zoom call and it was announced very last minute. So you and I were sort of two of the only journalists there. And there was a, a local journalist in there who hasn't appeared at all this season and um, put their hand up first to ask a question. And I think was trying to ask Valtteri Bottas, what's it like to win a race? Like for, I, I don't know. It, a, it didn't make any sense considering he no, finished 14th. It didn't. But anyway. <laughs> and and after, after that of all races and Bottas like, was obviously in a very sort of uh, very sombre mood, let's say. So of all the questions to ask, that was probably the wrong one. Although but just just he, very qu- just very quickly, look, I did think he was very polite with that journalist and was just like, yes. "Sorry, what do you mean? Can you just sort yeah. of clarify?" He wasn't because he could have easily had a temper tantrum oh, yeah. about that. No, no, no. But I really, I, I really guy. respected yeah. him for, for how he responded to that question. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Absolutely, <clears throat> but it's but he um, and to be fair, like even when we were asking about his disastrous race his words um he was he was very good at explaining it and he said that basically the first 200 meters were fantastic like made a really good start and then it just all went downhill that he had that had to spin his car to avoid Ocon and then had the clash with Ocon again on the first lap at turn nine and he said that when he had the car in a straight line the steering wheel was going a little bit to the left and that was obviously a clear sign of of a problem with the car and he said that the car just didn't feel right for the rest of the race so as he as you said in the intro that led to another four spins so six in total and and um, yeah, he he was just very, very open about it. He said that he was probably too eager in the move on Ocon at, at turn nine, but then otherwise just really, really struggled because the car was limping home, basically. Uh, we heard him come over the radio uh, towards the end of the race. Ricky, his race engineer, said, oh, you've got four laps to go. A boss house like, I wish it was over. Like, I, I just want it done with. And he, um, But he said, like, now he's got the final three races with no, no pressure, basically, because the title race is completely settled. There's nothing to play for. He's looking set to finish second in the standings ahead of... Max Verstappen so not a huge amount to play for there so he can really just sort of try and relax and he said he's interested to see how that lack of pressure sort of changes things for him and I think we obviously famously saw that with Nico Rosberg at the end of 2015 when Hamilton had the title sewn up and had a, a rather enjoyable sort of uh, end to his year and that gave uh, Rosberg a chance to build up some momentum that carried basically into the start of 2016 and ultimately helped set up his title victory so I, I'm not saying a similar thing will happen because Hamilton has obviously learned a lot since then but I think it'll just be nice to see how Bottas can cope without any pressure without the questions of oh like what do you think about the title race and everything like that because that's all to one side now and I think for him it's just about enjoying these final three races doing what he can to just build up some momentum to take into the winter and then after that uh, spend another sort of off season trying to plot how on earth to beat Lewis Hamilton absolutely absolutely so you could you could almost think about it as the next three races is the start of 2021 because he needs to build up that momentum whereas Hamilton probably learned from 2015 and he's just like right I'm not going to give you anything no yeah, no hope basically. going into the winter just to just to, to, to continue it for next year um go on Cottis. are we going to be looking at Valtteri Bottas um 1.2.3 or are we on are we on version 3.2.4 yeah I think oh, it was what? 3.0 this year so I think that the next three races will be the beta version of 
Valtteri Bottas 4.0, maybe. I am I so know. I am so tired of that reference. So none of you are allowed to ask him if it's going to be Valtteri 4.0 oh. at the start of next season. Sorry. Oh. Well, it depends if they carry on calling press conferences at two minutes notice, then there's not going to be many people in them. So, yeah. But Mercedes breaking the Red Bull record for shortest interval between uh, announcement of press conference happening and start. At least Mercedes do a press conference, though. Yes. Zing. Sassy. There we go. I like it. Um, John, let's go back to Lance Stroll. Um, how do you rate his weekend performance? Because he didn't really do a lot wrong, but I, th- I think you agree with the, the suggestion Cotter's made earlier about the fact that if he'd been a bit kinder on his tyres coming out of the pits, perhaps things would have been a bit different. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a stro- classic Stroll weekend. that He's such an enigma as a driver that he gets lambasted like anything because his dad owns a team and there's this perception he's only in Formula One because uh, he's a paid driver and doesn't deserve his spot blah 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 but you know he's won championships in junior categories coming up no matter you know certain benefits he has had on there and on weekends and days where driving talent matters um, where there's super low grip you think of um, Monza that year in the Williams when he qualified on um, I think he qualified third but moved up to second because um, someone had a, a grid penalty and yesterday or Saturday yes in qualifying here when any driver could have been some sensational performance and needed to nail it in very tricky circumstances with a low grip track really unpredictable and you had to deliver it spot on and he did it um, you know sensational performance yesterday to grab um, pole position he said it was going to be a tough ask to win the race today but he did the difficult bit. He, he got away well on the first lap. He built up that lead. Um, and probably anyone in his circumstance would have done. If the track had dried out quicker, he went to slicks. He would have had a, a comfortable advantage at the front. So he was probably in that unfortunate situation of, you know, the race circums- The race didn't play out in a way that it was so predictable that that early advantage helped him at all, really, that um, track didn't dry enough. It was that crossover point between new inters and old inters rather than being a, a step into this, the slick tyre. Um, and sure, he may have pushed too hard, but you know you can replay that race five times and the track dries quicker and you could say, oh, Stroll did the right thing and opening up a six-second advantage at the start because that was the key to him winning the race. So I don't think you can fault him for what happened today. And it was probably his strongest overall weekend despite the... You know, you can nitpick that he pushed too hard on those inters after the pits. Um, he could maybe have defended a little bit better as he fell back. But I think ultimately, considering how bad his previous five races have been, it was a pretty good weekend, I think. Perhaps if, if he'd been advised not to push too hard, uh, there'd have been another China in your hands reference, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, what about the other... This is not a useful interjection. <laughs> Never is, God, as it never is. Um, no. What about the other racing point driver, Luke? What about Sergio Perez today? Because it was a, another good performance from Perez. Uh, and the key for him for staying second was that he didn't take the inters. Uh, or sorry, the second sec- set of inters. But yeah, it still nearly cost him at the end. And he said in the press conference, maybe with hindsight, would have been a little bit better to come in and get some, some fresh tyres. But yeah, what did you think of Perez today? Yeah, really impressive drive. I think that he made a very good start and was able to uh, get into that second position well. And we sort of saw, as John said, like the racing points really pull this massive gap. And then when he came under pressure from Verstappen, uh, he uh, made a little mistake 
coming through turn nine and ten. Obviously, then Verstappen tried to move and had his spin. And uh, Perez, he he was just he was just very good at managing his tires. Basically, again, like he is he is the tire whisperer. As I think I said on yesterday's podcast, and he um, was able to sort of really get through that intermediate stint well. I think what forty eight laps. I think he did on that set of tires, and he said that he feared that if he'd done one more lap, they would have exploded, which maybe was a little bit dramatic. But he was uh, definitely concerned about it, and we did see his pace really sort of plummet towards the end, which allowed Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel to close up as they did in the final couple of corners. But he uh, managed to hold on to get a second place, and it's it's long overdue. I mean, he, Perez said after Imola, he was so frustrated that he missed out on that podium. And he said that's the second time this year we should have got a podium, and we haven't. But finally, he's got that rostrum that he really, really deserves, and he's just been—he's just been brilliant for racing point this season. He's now fourth in the drivers' championship, and if he can hang on to that, that's a massive, massive achievement. He's been basically single-handedly carrying racing point in the race for third place in the constructors over the past sort of five races or so. And yeah, I think as much as this weekend's, we will remember for his teammates escapades getting pole position and leading so much of the race i think perez deserves a huge amount of credit for his performance because he really really did well and yeah i think that it's going to be it's again sort of adding to the case of like how on earth does he not get a place on the grid for next season when he can put in a performance like that and potentially finish fourth in the standings because yeah he was brilliant and i think that second place like it's a, a huge huge result for him and for the team really deserves just all the credit in the world for getting it home and having sort of a, only a couple of minor errors as we we saw sort of with Verstappen and towards the end when he allowed the Ferraris to close um, again through 9 and 10 but otherwise it was a fairly sort of spotless display from him it was I know that uh, we, we've chatted about this before Luke I do disagree with you ever so slightly about his overall season performance I think he has underperformed at some very key moments think about Austria losing the, the wing that cost him the podium and things like that but that, not taking away from the fact that he has been brilliant of late and, and especially this weekend um, but John uh, uh, Luke touched on an important point there about Perez and his future. Do you think that finishing second and starting second and being overall very, very good on the weekend, do you think that has any impact on what happens next in terms of Perez's future? I still think that Perez's future all rests on what Alex Albon can do. I think Red Bull would like nothing more than Albon to deliver what they want, which is get close enough to Verstappen to become rear gunner. Um, if he beats Verstappen, that's brilliant. But I don't think they expect him to beat Verstappen they want him to qualify within two or three temps, shadow him home and just become a second car that can disrupt the Mercedes as they go forwards. Uh, and there was a phase of the race today, it looked like Alex was going to win um, as the racing points fell back um, and Max had taken him, in, him out of the picture. Alex was there. He'd pulled off that great move past Seb Vettel. Um, you thought he was going to get past Perez quite quickly and move on up. And then it all went wrong again. Um, the Inters went off, he dropped back on pace had the spin pitted and then fell back again. So I think the Perez decision will all rest on Alex and what he can do in these next three races. And he needs, if he can take the the, the bits of this weekend where he was strong and was good enough and do that repeatedly for three races, then I think he's got quite a good chance of keeping that seat. But um, he can't afford more spins and he can't afford to fall further away from Max, especially in qualifying. And I do wonder how many more opportunities he's going to get to stake a claim to that seat. And we hear Christine Horner keep saying, look, we want Alex to really claim it and prove why that seat is his and why he should be there. And as you said, John, today was that was the perfect opportunity to do it. That he, he was in contention for a podium at minimum, potentially even a race win. And it just all fell away from him again. And it's it's so it's so frustrating to see him get so, so close yet so far. And then just when the result appears to be on the 
cusp of coming it's just not that like it, he he loses it and misses out and it's a real it's a real big shame because i think today if he'd have if he'd have got a podium if he'd have won the race then i think red bull could have gone right that's all we need we can go ahead and, and push on with you but the fact again he didn't and to make matters worse the man who could replace him next season sergio perez was so good today and did get on the podium i think that is that's not going to help his case at all. And he's running out of opportunities. Red Bull initially said, I think before Portimao, they wanted to sort of give him two races to see what he'd do and then think about it. Portimao and Imola didn't go well. And then Horner was again asked earlier this week, what are you thinking? And he said, well, we'll give him more time. Like the market's pretty set. So we've been bought time basically to delay a decision potentially until after Abu Dhabi. But now Albon's still only got three more chances. Like He's got three more races to say to Red Bull, this is why you should hire me for next season. And he can't afford to let more opportunities like we saw today pass by. Well, I think his saving grace today, though, is that Max also had a bit of a bit of a shocker that, you know, in the early phase, Max looked like he was the one who was going to come through. I mean, pre-race, you thought either Max Verstappen is going to absolutely dominate this or we're going to have a, a strange winner because Max had been brilliant in practice, had been brilliant through most of qualifying before it didn't work on that final run of the Inters. You thought he's going to um, dive inside at Turn 1 and will disappear and this this will be a one minute victory to Max Verstappen he'll be sensational but the start was terrible uh, fell back into the pack he came back he got too impatient I think trying to get past Perez um, there's no point being that close through that turn spun and then dropped back into the pack he spun later on as well um, didn't feel comfortable with that car so I think there are when you mitigate how Alex's race was compared with Max it wasn't a complete disaster so I think that's the only saving grace for Alex today it wasn't as if Max had won and Alex had this chance to finish second and fell back I think the Red Bull car today was tricky and it may may be related to the Honda engine mapping because that start today was um, well just it looked as though they'd failed to get away at all really they just seemed to be stationary as everyone else came powering past them yeah, this I suppose to be fair to Alex, this race is very much an outlier, isn't it? Because it was a Grand Prix in which many aspects were counterintuitive. You know, very very often uh, the tire tie wear is or, or tire operations are relatively linear. You know, you, your tires degrade or wear out. You put new ones on, you go faster. This this was a race where putting on bolting on a new set of tires wasn't necessarily your magic ticket to success and it was a race where experience told didn't it and cool heads prevailed people who knew how to work their tires how to manage them how to you know bring them up to temperature gradually and you saw that with the way lewis won with the way sergio perez played it and compare and contrast very much as, as johnny said with with max who i the, the red mist came down as soon as his car went to went into anti-stall at the start. Uh, he he just sort of lost it, didn't he? He looked ragged. He sounded ragged when he was on the radio. He he just sounded like someone who was flapping. And the the people who flapped in today's race failed. The the, the people who kept their heads succeeded. Was to, was today the most experienced podium of the season in terms of total races of everyone on there? Yeah, I mean, I thought so. Definitely the most world titles. 11 <laughs> uh, but although they got the flags wrong Sebastian, yes. Vettel, Sebastian Vettel is not Mexican Very no good. that was the F1 <laughs> struggle of the day <laughs> uh, Codis, did, you, did you have a point to make uh, an observation perhaps about Sergio Perez before we move on to Ferrari yeah, I thought it was a it, it was a good race for him. Um, when he, he he was what another of these people who talked about what might have been afterwards, and I was 
surprised and a little bit disappointed when he said that maybe you should have come in for new tyres and that was clearly not the right thing to do. He he managed to, was it lap 10? He, he came in for Inters and then he made those tyres last for the rest of the race and that was his magic ticket and he made very few errors. I'm actually, I'm fascinated to see how the Autosport driver rankings play out for this race because uh, I think there might be some unexpected results. Are there any 10s, though? There is one 10. Ooh, There's one And ten. I've had to use my uh, power because I just, because I write them. <laughs> Your power? Uh, to over, yeah, no, the, the, the Are little, you He-Man the and the Masters little, of the and, Universe? And the only, the, uh, the, I have no idea what that means, so quite possibly. Um, <laughs> I got that. I got that. Uh, it says more about you than you yeah, disappointingly. Ah, um, yeah, superhero I, anyway, I'm, I'm using. Wear, I'm using not a good one, one with ridiculous <laughs> hair. Um I'm using yeah because basically I I have uh, uh, what's what's the word a discretion to override what I like and I'm doing it in the case of Lewis Hamilton so there we go because but he, yeah to he, to, to, he, to he answer your struggle, question he did properly struggle in qualifying so you could make the argue that overall on the weekend you didn't maximise it but that race driver was just so brilliant that's why he, uh, he's going to get that I think it's quite meritorious but yeah to to answer your question properly I, I think the Perez's race was very much defined by that opening stint where it looked like uh, Lance was heading off into the distance and it looked like Perez was very much under pressure. But for by and large, apart from his little slip up at, at turn nine that you know, sort of nearly enabled Verstappen to pass him uh, if, if Max hadn't uh, spun it immediately afterwards, he, he was pretty much holding it together. So he, he, it was a very, very mature race. But, you know... As you said, he has arguably underperformed earlier on this season. So in, in the balance of things, it, it's it's tricky. So like I said, I, I look forward to seeing the ratings. Good. No one else does. No, I'm joking. Um, so least of the all me. The denizens anyway. of the internet don't. Oh, Actually, they the, do because the, they want to get angry. The boring cowards that don't use their real names. Yes, oh, tiresome. Um, yes, let's just just one more very quick point before we move on to uh, to Ferrari. Um uh, Perez obviously did his uh, use his inters. They were brand new when he when he put them on. Whereas, like I said, Hamilton's were, were old. Yeah, it really demonstrates again how good Hamilton is when it comes to the tyres because he made a, an older set last even better than Perez because Hamilton didn't give up at the end, whereas Perez's did. Although I think it's really interesting that they both referenced being worried about them exploding, particularly Lewis Hamilton. I think because he said this at other races that when he, when he gets a vibration, suddenly he's wondering are the tyres going to explode? I think what happened at the last lap, the British Grand Prix, really stayed with him, and he doesn't want anything like that to happen again quite understandably um well Luke let's come on to Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel I think this is maybe the first time on the podcast this season we're going to talk about a really excellent performance from him today okay yeah underperforming in qualifying he said that that was simply you know well did he underperform you know basically his point was less water on the track today made it easier for Ferrari so perhaps yesterday that was just as good as it got for Ferrari and he was the lead driver because he beat he beat uh, Leclerc um but yeah how good was Sebastian Vettel today? Because he suddenly was was up there amongst the leaders, having been way back in the pack on the grid. Yeah, it was fantastic. I think we saw shades of the old Vettel. It was quite nice. His first podium finish in over a year. And he made an excellent start to get up to, I believe he was fourth in the opening stages. And then had uh, Lewis Hamilton really stuck behind him for a, lot, for a long time. And Hamilton was complaining. So I just, I just can't find a way past. And earlier in the weekend... Um, a picture of Hamilton with a Ferrari had been tweeted and Mercedes did a, a joke sort of reply to it saying oh well there's always a Ferrari behind Lewis and that in the race then came back up again and um, uh, 
a friend of mine's the admin for that account and he was just like yeah, i shouldn't have tweeted that it's just not not come back well but it's it was and that was really funny and then but that really spoke to how well vettel was doing that for all of the sort of spinala memes and saying that he can't handle pressure and things like that today he didn't put a foot wrong like, he was really in a good groove and i think that the tires sort of went through these different phases and he was losing a lot of time sort of in the early part of that intermediate tire stint but then as the, the sort of it wore down and wore on he found more and more time and was able to really like get close to the front runners so it was a really excellent drive and then yeah coming to those closing stages he was running fifth uh, just behind uh, Perez and the clerk and uh, then sorry he was running coming into the closing stages he was running fourth just behind Perez and Leclerc and then obviously Perez made the mistake Leclerc tried the overtake but then ran wide and Vettel was able to nab that position really really well and across the line for third place and yeah a, a really good drive and he said afterwards like oh well if we'd gone for slicks maybe we, we could have gone for a race win but obviously there was the the threat of rain Vettel was told on the radio heavy rain might be coming on the last lap so it'd have been a big risk to take but I think it was a really just a real like mistake free race like when so many other drivers were making errors and spinning Vettel, the one driver who's got so much stick this year for making errors, for not being able to handle pressure, he just took it all in his stride. So I think deserves a huge amount of credit for that. He certainly does. But yeah, he was saying about being stuck behind Vettel. He was like, I was thinking at one point, oh, Sebastian's had a really tough year and he's driving really well and seemed to be like, oh, I was actually sort of cheering him on. Then he just goes, but really I was thinking, damn it, get out of my way or something like that. <laughs> or I want to get past. I just thought it was very funny about that. And it's interesting, Codders, that those two... Obviously, there a couple of years ago when they were fighting for world titles, it was like, right, who's going to be the first driver to get five since Schumacher? Who's going to carry on and keep going? And, and Vettel seems to have gone down and Hamilton seems to have carried on going up. But there's clearly a lot of respect between the two of them. I think you've seen that quite a lot this season, particularly with uh, uh, Vettel's support for Hamilton's action on, on racial equality. And I have to say, I thought his, his helmet this weekend, Sebastian Vettel with the rainbow and everything, and absolutely wonderful. And I think he's doing a really good job just also just being himself you know which i think is, is, is really good but yeah what did you make of of the sort of little the little moment they had in park Ferme where hamilton was conf- you know sort of um basically just 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 getting a grip of himself just wanting to be composed as he got out of the cockpit and vettel sort of put his arm in and was just like we're witnessing you make history here i thought that was very generous very sporting of it and very often we we, we look at what sebastian vettel does and and he, he can at times be a little bit not very grown up but other times he can and yeah you're right two or three years ago we were talking about the Vettel versus Hamilton as a real rivalry for the ages and who would be first to the the five world championships and you know the the Ferrari thing hasn't panned out for Vettel it it gives me some hope that you know the fire's still burning there and that maybe at racing point um, Aston Martin next year Seb will be able to pull off something special maybe who knows it, it's it's tricky to tell because we, we don't really know but he'll have been heartened by the performance of the the pink Mercedes today certainly won't he and but I, th- I think you know to come back to my previous point this this was a race where experience told out and he sort of strung it together very very well he was patient when he needed to be I, I was very surprised to see him move away from Lewis sort of to, towards the end of that first phase and it was it was difficult to work out because I'd, I'd forgotten to switch my iPad on and get the uh, live timing up whether it was him speeding up or Lewis slowing down so there was there was a little bit in the coddling household of fiddling with with the mechanisms to, to get the timing up but I, I, it was very, very impressive. And also, he failed to hit his teammates, which is something that can't be said of the past couple of seasons. 
Indeed. And and John, actually, I wanted to bring in Leclerc here because actually when they started the last lap of the race, Vettel wasn't going to get on the podium. It was Leclerc in third. And then he comes across Perez, who, like I said, struggling, goes off at turn nine. That's what gives him the opportunity to get by. A damning indictment of the state of Ferrari's engine that Leclerc had DRS and Perez was still able to run off the track on the wets and then almost get back alongside him, which is why I think Leclerc outbreaks himself. But how good was he? Because bearing in mind, I said he he was 14th at the end of lap one because qualifying hadn't gone very well. And he kept being the one to pull the trigger and change the fresh inters. How good was he through the race to even get himself into contention for the podium? But it's classic Leclerc though, isn't it? We we saw it, if you go back to the first race of the season, when um, Ferrari's struggles were fairly clear to see that an under-the-radar qualifying didn't expect to see them do anything in the race. And then suddenly, bang, in that closing stages, he was up there and grabbed a podium finish. And we, we saw it at Silverstone as well. Um, he's very much that that long game player that, you know, you know, plotting that race, staying out of trouble, coming through and delivering. Um, and after the race, he was utterly furious with himself. There's some, some team radio. Um, oh, it was excellent to, swearing. You know, I'm a fan <laughs> there's of swearing. Brilliant, brilliant swearing in English, brilliant swearing in Italian. Uh he was claiming it was a worse mistake, feels stupider than he did at Baku when he crashed into the, the barriers in qualifying um, that year. Um, so I think he was frustrated, but equally, um, you know, it's a weekend where both Ferraris pretty evenly matched in pace terms, um, probably a combination of the track surface. Actually, cars couldn't produce the, the full speed um, they were capable of so it wasn't as if it was high grip surface and you're on downforce and efficiency and a weekend where driving talent probably played a little bit more of a role than it would normally um, and Seb the bits of um, the car and the car's handling that he doesn't like and he can't feel in qualifying and he can't feel in the race weren't there it was about understanding the balance between the tyres understanding the grip managing the tyres and that's where his experience paid off Another uh, feather in Vettel's cap there is sometimes your experience tells you when to to hang back because the two people dueling in front of you are about to have a shunt. And I've I've been rummaging through my box of memories for uh, a, a, a quote. I think it was your, Jody Schechter. Your it may box or may of not memories. That's called your brain. Yeah. yeah, I've I've had to send someone down with a torch and rummage through the dusty things. It's a little bit like you know that. That that final shot from Raiders of the Lost Ark, where you see them pushing the crate that contains the Ark of the Covenant into a little dusty corner, and the camera pans back, and there's tens of millions of other crates. You know, that I'm afraid that's my brain, and most of those crates are filled with absolute nonsense. But <laughs> we know. Yeah, I, dread, I dread to think of a room full of Codders' memories and thoughts. That would be, that would be the, the worst nightmare possible. <laughs> But um, the, the the point which I'm laboriously reaching is that that I've, I've heard more than once uh, a driver after a race uh, that's had a successful outcome for them uh, f- from a, a, a disadvantageous position uh, say I, I was watching these two guys dueling in front of me and I knew that they were going to hit each other or have an accident or something was going to go wrong so I just didn't get involved and I waited I backed myself for. To, to be in the right position when the inevitable happened. And, and this was what happened on that last lap. Vettel just sort of waited, seized the moment, as it were, as one of our <laughs> colleagues in the press room might have had it on his Tinder profile. Uh, and uh, he seized the moment and uh, and benefited. 
and re- reverted back to um to a to a podium position asked as to whether to the podium right, yeah, now, now, now we're all on the same page okay right right, right. and yeah anyway moving swift, for your help, moving Bobby. swiftly on from what they're getting at um Luke, do you do do you think that um, Leclerc, who is famously very self-critical, do you think he was being a little bit hard on himself at the end of the race? He was bashing the steering wheel, as John said, swearing in all these different languages to the point where his engineer had to very calmly say, "And radio off." That was quite <laughs> amusing. Yeah, it was. As you say, that is just a hallmark of of Charles Leclerc. He's always so so hard on himself, and I think even what was it? Bahrain 2018, his second race when he spun in Q2 and he was on the road like, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid and came out again with that quote as uh, as John said, sort of in Baku in last year when he crashed in, in Q2 and he's, yeah, he's just very, very hard on himself like, and it's, it's not really warranted. Like, ultimately, these mistakes do happen and he he went to try and get second place like he went for the position and it's better than just sort of hanging back and sort of thinking, well, oh, I'm just going to just accept third. So he, he has to go for it and this season it's not that's not going to cost him a championship like it's not going to be a make or break for his season it would have been nice to get a third podium of the year frankly it's two more already than ferrari arguably deserve or should have got but that again speaks how well he's performed this season and yeah i I thought his performance day was, was fantastic and it was a shame that he did sort of throw away that podium in the on the last lap when he went for that move but i think it's better to have gone for it than, than not to have so yeah massively too hard on himself but I think that's just that's just how Charles deals with things really he is very very self-critical and I think that we're we're gonna hear that I think until he sort of gets a little bit older and, and, and grows up a little bit and I don't mean that in a, a slight on Charles at all because he's a very very mature young man but ultimately when you're 22 or 23 years old like you you don't have the emotional maturity that a driver of like Lewis Hamilton or Sebastian Vettel's age would have so that'll come in time basically but I think that uh, yeah he can be still very pleased with his performance today and I think that just on the red mist of the final lap when you see yourself drop from potentially finishing second to coming fourth you're obviously going to be very frustrated Absolutely, indeed. Just just before we move on to the to the next topic, I was amused by Sebastian Vettel's. Uh, it was a clear joke in the press conference about that Ferrari getting their massive points all on the the one weekend where Mattia Bonotto has decided to watch the race from back in the factory. <laughs> Probably a joke you can make a little bit easier when you're leaving the team at the end of the year, but nevertheless, amusing from Vettel. Um, another driver scored a very good result, fifth place for Carlos Sainz, having risen up from you know well down the field on the grid. Um, for McLaren, Cottas, how did he do it? Because it was a fairly unseen rise. Yeah, I think they stopped at the right time, but also they'd made some, they'd investigated some sort of changes they could make to the settings in the car and Carlos's approach to tyre warm up overnight. Uh, and Carlos spoke about how they'd, they'd stayed up quite late, uh, him and his engineers, working out how they might do this by adjusting settings, by him driving a little bit differently and, and experimenting on the laps to the grid. So. And he said he could feel those improvements in tyre warm-up um, even then. So I think that set him up for for the race. And, and there was something else that Andreas Seidel said in, in the press conference, which, which was that it's, it's all about um, not being the hero on lap one. So they... The, the, the McLarens had varied fortunes on the first lap. Lando had the, the, the world's worst start. But just sort of playing yourself in having a productive relationship with the rest of the team and just take taking the benefits when you can so you saw um when when the 
Alfa Romeo went wide, Carlos took advantage. He just sort of played himself in very, very gradually. And, and crucially, when, when he made the stop for tyres, pretty much at the same time as Stroll did, um, he didn't go out too aggressively. He had you know his first couple of laps out of the pits were, were gentle he he treated his tires properly he was con- in constant dialogue with his engineers about whether he was doing the right thing and and the car came alive under him because he he got the tires into the window and 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 that was basically how carlos did what he did he he it was it was a masterclass in tire management i know though that you know, when when we talk about Grand Prix being uh, masterclasses in tyre management, we're usually talking about boring races. But actually, tyre management was was a critical facet of of anyone's success. That clearly was, as what happened with uh, Hamilton and Perez. Hamilton able to keep his tyres alive to the end, Garnick. Uh, yeah, and also massive for McLaren the results today to ensure that the fight for third place in the Constructors' Championship is, is still mm-hmm. alive. Andreas Seidel was quite concerned after qualifying on Saturday, saying that this is a real chance for Racing Point to basically snatch all the points they need to like kill that race completely. And there was only a point separating Racing Point Renault and McLaren going into the race weekend. But because McLaren came away with a really good double score, even with Perez getting on the podium, they're only five points behind racing points. They've not lost a lot of ground at all. Uh, Renault only picked up a single point, so really dropped back, and they now probably have to be more worried about Ferrari catching them than the two teams ahead of them. So, yeah, I think McLaren, they can be really proud of the result and the performance they put in today as a team and to ensure that sort of fight for P3 is staying alive, which, given in the opening stages, they saw their direct rival running 1-2 and sort of 15 seconds clear of the field. It must have been really really sweating that that could have killed their hopes completely absolutely and and, and really the, of the, the three teams involved in that p3 scrap for the constructors in the constructors championship it's, it's Renault that's come away worse they came into the weekend in third they're now fifth um and at one point they they were looking like they were going to be the ones chasing after racing point until the first corner when uh, Ricardo unfortunately taps Ocon around but yeah John what what happened to Renault for the rest of the race and how did how did Ocon in particular react to his misfortunes on the first lap yeah, so I spoke to Esteban tonight. He, he looked at the video again and felt, you know, it's just unfortunate circumstance of Lewis down the inside of Daniel. Daniel had to straighten the steering out a bit to avoid a collision and that tagged Esteban. Um, Esteban reckons he, he probably would have left the first corner in third place if things had played out without a collision and would, wouldn't have been able to hold it on to the end, he reckons, but could have got fifth or sixth place. Um, Daniel, on the other hand, um, just said never at any point of that race did he feel he was on top of the tyres or the, the pace was there. Um, he said his engineer would come on the radio at times and say, you're the fastest car on the track. Uh, and then two laps later, the tyres would be falling off and the pace had disappeared. So just wasn't a weekend where it really worked very well for, for Renault. Um, Daniel now says they're the dark horse of third place. Um, they're a bit behind, but he's not neither drivers downbeat about it. They said if there were two races left, they'd be quite concerned. But they think you know, three races coming up, warmer temperatures suit their car a bit better. Um, we've got some, we've got that low downforce um, Bahrain outer loop track, chaotic outer loop track, perhaps uh, coming up. Um, so the, the five of the thirds not done yet, but um, they definitely need to um, not have any repeat problems in these final three races. 
yeah, you get the feeling that that outer loop race in particular will favour Renault, considering how fast they've been at like Spa and Monza in the past, uh, in, in, in well, this year as well. Um, let's just let's dip to the back of the field now, Luke, and talk about Williams. As as John said, uh, Dave Robson had, had referenced on Saturday, he didn't know whether it was going to be a, a tortoise or a hare race strategy. Was He was talking about it potentially being dry, and it did make me think about all that work I did on Friday to analyse the dry running pace, and then it was completely, completely wet for the rest of the weekend. But such is the life of an Autosport Grand Prix editor, and I'm very, very lucky to be able to do it um yeah it sort of was nearly over it's certainly for George Russell before the start of the race when he went off in the pit lane Antonio Giovinazzi also crashed on the way to the grid in his Alfa Romeo unfortunately just just damaged his front wing um but what just just before just before I get eventually to my question as I know I do ridiculously um there was an excellent there's an excellent amusing uh, uh section on lap two between George Russell and Valtteri Bottas where Bottas uh well first of all they, they follow Nicholas Latifi uh at the end of lap one and he just spins off completely on his own because the two Williams cars were on the intermediates in an incredibly bold call I don't know whether that was hare tortoise or some other you know particularly confident animal that thought the inters on the very wet track were particularly appropriate anyway Latifi spins off Bottas gets ahead of Russell, but he goes off again, back onto the uh, the, the runoff at the end, end of turn one where he'd spun around at the start of the race. Russell follows him off in sympathy. And then they're sort of hovering. Bottas being like, is he going to come by? Russell being like, is he going to go ahead? Is he letting me by? And then he slips away. And at one point goes, oh, go on, Bottas. Like, after you, after you. I thought that was quite funny. Um, but yeah, what happened to George Russell, first of all, in that pit lane? And what happened in his race after the, uh, the amusing bit with Bottas there? Yeah, he said there was just no grip whatsoever. He was just really, really struggling. And it's something that he spoke about a lot uh, in the press session following the race, that he said the grip and track conditions were just so poor that even going super, super slowly into that pit lane and tiptoeing around, that he he just couldn't couldn't turn in and obviously hit the wall, uh, as, as you said. And he said that he knew it wouldn't be too much of an issue just because he was going that slowly, that there wasn't going to be any major damage, so they could always just get a new front wing sorted and that was okay. Williams always planned to start the cars from the pit lane because they wanted to keep the tyres in the tyre blankets and not have the same issue of the cars doing that formation up and then being sat on the grid for a little while. So that was always the plan for them. And uh, yeah, then his race, he said it was just another case of tyre temperatures, that it just swung dramatically and you could lose sort of two or three seconds a lap if your tyres weren't in the right window. And uh, ultimately the race sort of just faded away from him in the end and uh, wound up in 16th. And he he just lamented the absolute lack of grip throughout the weekend. And it's something that has created a, a real spectacle for everybody today. And I think we've all enjoyed a very entertaining Grand Prix. But George was very, very vocal. He said it's not Formula One. He said that ultimately you want to see the best drivers in the world with the best cars in the world and the best circuits pushing to the limit even in the wet and he said that you just didn't get any of that today because the grip levels were so unpredictable due to resurfacing and he was yeah really quite upset about it and I think that is something that is gonna I think polarize opinion particularly among fans whether you enjoy the race because there was no grip whatsoever and you sort of saw the drivers really having to find the limit and use all of their skills or do you want to see them being able to basically push to their own limit and actually have a circuit that is grippy enough that they don't sort of have to sort of feed, fill their way around and, and be sort of guessing a lot of the time. And George called it a lottery and he was very, very disappointed, like just how that went. So I think that, yeah, it just, but it's another opportunity. It's another sort of crazy race that Williams haven't ultimately capitalised on. I think that when we saw them start on Inters, we thought, oh, okay, we'll try something a bit different here. It could work out. And Russell did get up to sort of that magic 11th place that he seems to flirt with so often this season at one stage. But uh, then, yeah, as the race sort of faded, uh, as the race wore on, his hopes really faded. And uh, yeah, another chance missed, really. 
It's 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 very easy, isn't it? After a, a race like this that's been made interesting and unpredictable by circumstances being unusual, to say let's make everyone like this. But I think that's going down the wrong way because let's face it we have spent the the past 10 years living with the legacy of a decision made in the aftermath of a race like this by bernie eccleston to say every race should be like this let's make let's let's insist that the incoming tire supplier um has tires that are sensitive and fall off a cliff and are unpredictable and then it'll make for brilliant racing and what we've had is some great races but also an awful lot of drivers complain that the tires are too sensitive an awful lot of races that have been slower than they could have been because people are having to babysit their tires so to to avoid making too many pit stops so yeah i i I would avoid at all costs the mentality of saying that's great let's have everyone like that because it's 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 a dead end really yeah and i also think that uh the circuits that are not owned sort of state owned are going to be uh, bristling at the suggestion they'll have to resurface and do low grip because the amount of money that it would that it would cost them and then lewis hamilton to turn around at every track and say it's shit with a capital s which is a great turn of phrase but i'm sure they wouldn't appreciate that after having uh, invested so much but anyway let's actually come back to hamilton um john he he mentioned or we, we talked about earlier you know what's he going to do over the next three races he's he wants to win them all he suggested that perhaps learning the lessons of 2015 when maybe he gave Nico Rosberg or, you know, probably it's generally considered that he did give him a bit of momentum coming into his title winning year. But also the other really interesting element for these last three races is that Lewis Hamilton does not have a contract. Currently, he won't be on the grid in 2021, although it's generally accepted that he will be. He, he said sort of in the press conference, you know, we're in the Middle East for three weeks potentially everyone shut in hotel rooms that's definitely what's going to happen for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix there's a a sort of a biosphere being created where everyone's locked on on Yas Island hopefully allowed to to interact away you know you know or at least leave isolation in your rooms or whatever but certainly there's going to be no going out into the city or whatever is that the opportunity that he's going to take with Toto Wolf to do his contract and if so why have they waited until now uh yeah because I I think there were Toto suggested tonight could wait till after the season but I think he's right. The, the Middle East opportunity, the fact everyone's going to be away for three weeks uh, and they will be hanging around in Bahrain for a little while. Um, it basically needs Toto and Lewis to sit down around a table. Um, they can sit either side of a table and it can be more than two metres long. So it should be fine um, just to do it. But I think they were also quite right. Toto's talked about, you know, it would have been foolish to have, you know, met up at Silverstone time, for example, thrashed out a contract Toto gives Lewis the virus and it costs him the world championship because he's missed three races. So they've waited till the title's done. Uh, they can thrash out the details and I'm sure it's going to happen. I'm sure he's going to stay. Um, and his comments at the last race where he says, there's no guarantee I'll be here next year based purely on the fact until you have a contract, there is no guarantee. Um, you have to do the deal. You have to get these things signed. You have to get it all done. Um, but I think it, it's more likely than not it will be done before the final race of the season. Um, and I've got zero doubt that he will be racing uh, at the first race of the season, wherever it, wherever that first race is next year. Yep, I agree with you there, John. Um, Codders, what did you make of Hamilton's reaction? You know, you heard it on the radio. He was clearly upset. He, you know, he says afterwards, again, in the press conference, he burst into tears as soon as he crossed the line and he sort of wanted to compose himself. He made a joke about not wanting to see, not wanting people to see him cry because he'd seen other Formula One drivers do that. And it's, it'd just be suggesting that he didn't approve of that or whatever. But yeah, what did you make of how he reacted to making his history today? Yeah, he's always been a driver who wears his heart on his sleeve. He, he's, he's 
find it difficult to filter his emotions. And I tell you what, I, th- I thought I had something in my eye when I was uh, watching his uh, post-race uh, interview. You know, he was. Was it your box clear. of memories? <laughs> I was. I was rummaging around. It might have been the dust. It might have been a moat of dust in my eye. <laughs> from a dusty crate but um yeah it 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 was certainly very very sort of almost a tearjerker moment wasn't it you know all those emotions came flooding through him of his dreams when he was a kid and all those years living you know traveling around europe with his dad living out of a suitcase uh going to rubbishy cart tracks and having to race with rubbish tires because they didn't have the best of everything uh and and i think it it really really today brought home to him the, the scope and scale of his achievement and maybe opened opened a window to him now, now he's reached that peak to see another peak in the distance that of the you know the the eighth world championship so yeah i, I think onwards and upwards he's not going to walk away indeed and and luke coming to you what do you where do you rank this particular title and, and what hamilton has achieved this year because obviously everyone's going to look at the headline you know seven world titles now equal with Michael Schumacher he's technically sort of nosing ahead because he's got more wins if you, if you wanted to consider the the greatest in Formula 1 like do urge you to buy Autosport's 70th anniversary special issue out on Thursday excellent excellent uh, uh, magazine there or bookazine as we've got a podcast coming out where we derive that term and I although I quite like it but anyway there we go I'm doing my usual thing it's better than Magook no idea what that is but indeed yes it is um Luke, this year, this title, as I said, an amazing seventh title, but it's come during a pandemic and it's come in a a season and a year that's very, very important to Lewis Hamilton because of the difference he has been able to to make and and the steps that he's taken in that all important. And and we do emphasise that again, that that tremendous and wonderful push and needed push for racial equality and, and, and more diversity. Hamilton always talks about this. It's not just, you know, people of colour that he wants to see promoted in Formula One. He wants to see more women in their, you know, full stop, also in, in more positions of power. You know, it's, it's obviously been a year that's been very dear to his heart. So where do you think, do you think that makes a difference to where we sort of rank this title compared to the other six? Definitely, yeah. I think that if we go on purely sporting terms, I think you would argue, well, Mercedes are that far ahead of all the other teams, so Lewis only really had competition from Valtteri Bottas. How strong is Bottas as a title contender? Would he be stronger than than Nico Rosberg when the two of them were together? Uh, I think back to sort of 2017, 2018, when Hamilton faced a very strong Ferrari and a very strong Sebastian Vettel. 2008, when he faced a very strong Ferrari with Felipe Massa. So I think that it's it's maybe hard to suggest that on a sporting level, this is the best of the lot, but I think it is by far the most significant of his championship wins. I think the fact that he has done it in, as you said, a year where you've got the pandemic, you've got around the world, the push the against racism, for the push for racial equality, and that so much has gone on in this year that Lewis Hamilton has given so much energy to. And he said very early on that if he were to win the title this year, it would be the, the the most important to him just because of everything going on around the world. And I think that to win it, not only not only to win it, but to win it with such an impressive display and so dominantly with three races to spare again in the 17-race season, I think is it just speaks to how strong he has been this year and how good he's been this year. And I think, yeah, I think it's one that we will we will really remember because he has done he's done it while still being a a real spokesperson for for the push against racism to make the world a more equal place for greater diversity both in our sport and around the world. And I think that he has 
proven again why he is to me the greatest I think because of everything he does off track as well as on track and I just think he deserves huge credit for that and I think it's yeah a, a real amazing year and I think that over the radio he said after the race he said that's that's for all the kids out there who, who dream and he said you've got to basically dream, have your dreams but speak them into existence and it's a story that goes back to when he was racing remote control go-karts with, the, with his dad and then stepped into karting and all the way through his life he's just always fought and fought and fought and yeah I think it it's just really incredible to see what he's achieved and I think this was the real peak of where he's got to but as Cotter said it could go even higher I think one of the difficulties when you when you try and judge championships is um, the perception can sometimes be that if you have a really really tough fight and take it to the final lap of the final 100 metres of the thing and then win the championship that seems to be a hard earned or better one championship than if you do what Lewis did this year, which was step up his game, perform brilliantly and dominate, um, you know, leave no stone unturned, make zero mistakes. Um, you Then, you know, what he did this year can all too easily get viewed as he's had the best car. It looks easy because he's winning everything. Um, so sometimes really, really hard to judge. And you can give credit for, for weakness sometimes when it comes to how you win success. You know, a, a, a victory where you have pulled out some brilliant performances you've extracted everything from the car you've pulled away by two seconds a lap out of sheer brilliance um can sometimes be viewed not as good as if you've um messed about all the race you've messed up the strategy you've made five mistakes but you somehow win on the final corner so i think that's one of the factors we need to kind of look at when you put this season against other championships you know especially 2008 which are probably the one that everyone remembers because of that that nature of that that final corner with timo glock Indeed, uh, mm. Codders, we need to avoid the, the theory that I've obviously forgotten because I always do, but you referenced about once. You know, peak end wanted, effect. Peak end effect, there we go. I must <laughs> write that down. I always forget. Anyway, sorry. You should. Go in. Um, the, uh, we, let, let, let's face it, Lewis had a better season in 2007 than he did in 2008 uh, competitively. And it's it, as, as Johnny says, it's very easy to rate a championship based on peak end effect and and, and the excitement of it. Uh, I, I, and you have to counter by saying you've got to be a bit of a prat to have by far the best um, uh, car in the field and to have it to have the championship come down to the wire against anyone other than your own teammate. Mentioning no names, Jacques Villeneuve. But um, you know, if, if you make very heavy weather. Of of a world championship with the best car then I'd say you're not really fit to be in the pantheon go on do the impression uh, what of Patrick Head please yes I love it <laughs> I have to say that Jacques Villeneuve made very heavy weather of the 1997 world championship excellent excellent well on that note we should bring things to a close thank you very much to the three of you for coming on the podcast tonight and thanks for everybody listening along now just before we go we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of autosport magazine came out on thursday and is available on the supermarket shelves and in news agents as well as on the doormats of subscribers and this week as i said look out for the autosport 70th special bookazine which is available on our website uh, there'll also be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every thursday packed full of news analysis and the usual stunning photography and of course if you want unlimited access to autosport from the content of your home visit autosport.com slash plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package we'll be back soon with another episode of the autosport podcast
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.